good morning, church. Glad you're here with us. I uh, heard a message from a pastor this week. I thought I had a cute story about when he was a boy and uh, his father was taking him to his first communion meal, kind of his rite of passage in the church. And his father walked up to him that Sunday morning and said, son, this is going to be an exciting day for you. This will be the first time you get to share in the Lord's Supper at church. And the pastor said, when I was a young boy, I looked up at my dad and I said, man, I hope they don't have peas. Yeah. <laughs> to which my dad looked back at him and said, I don't think we're ready yet. So, <laughs> so has nothing to do with the sermon today, but that was just a cute story, I thought. So maybe we can relate with that. So we are continuing our new series called The War of the World about the fact that there are two opposing agendas for our world and every single person that lives in our world. One is the agenda of God for love and compassion and restoration and relationship. And the other is the agenda of Satan, the devil, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy everything good that God has deemed good. And not only does he come to destroy it, he comes to deceive Christians specifically to keep us from focusing on the real issues of our spiritual life, the real issues of the spiritual battle that we are kind of just squirreled, that Satan's kind of like, hey, look over here, look over here, and we get our focus off of the real issue, and therefore we struggle, and we, we stumble, and we get hurt, because we're not fighting the real battle, we're fighting little side things off, off the side that really don't matter, but they distract us and get our minds away. Now, as we go through the series, I want us to realize that some people think that the battle between God and the devil is like a, a yin-yang battle, a black and white battle. You know, it's like, here's God, here's Satan. They're equal opposing forces. Well, that's another lie from the pit of hell, isn't it? Because when you read through the Bible, God and Satan are not equal. And how do we know that? Because God created. Remember Genesis? In the beginning... God not only created the world and the universe and every single one of us, do you know who else God created? Lucifer. God created the angels in heaven. And Lucifer was one of those angels who, as we looked at last week, was the chief of the cherub angels. He was the morning star, as, as the Bible called him. He was one of the most beautiful creations in all of heaven. But he was created by whom? By God. Therefore, we have creator, we have creation, just like us. We have God creator, we have us creation. Is that an equal match? No. Absolutely not. So don't be deceived into the lie of Satan that Satan says, hey, I'm just as good and strong as God, so this battle is just a royal, royal battle. We're fighting against each other. We're both equal to see who wins. We already know two things. One, Satan is a created being just like us. Therefore, he is not equal with God. And number two, once again, when we read the Word of God, especially the last book of the Bible, Revelation, God wins. It's already established. So someone may ask, and we're going through this series, why would God allow the devil, Satan, Lucifer, to rule havoc on this earth for a time? Why would God do that? That just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Why would God allow us to have to have these spiritual struggles and temptations and trials and temptations and sin to allow our bodies to decay, our minds to fade, to allow bad things to happen? Well, it's simple. God desires that we desire Him, a relationship with Him. God desires that we would seek Him out with all our heart, mind, and strength. What God does not want is cookie-cutter Christians that are like just little robots that just serve him because he says to serve him. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone and that other person looks at you and tells you, you will be in a relationship with me, you will love me, you will serve me, well, how motivated are you? Right? We would call that in our modern terms an abusive relationship, wouldn't we? And we're completely against that. We don't want abusive relationships where someone is telling us what we will do and how we'll do it. Now, in contrast, if you've ever been in a relationship 
where you're with another individual and your heart flutters, your fingers go numb, and when you're around them, you're just like a little Disney movie on cloud nine with the bunnies and the butterflies, and you just want to be with them. They are so important to you that you just desire to do good things for them because you love them and you want to be with them. And whatever they say, you're just like, oh, that's the most wonderful thing anybody's ever said. That's a good relationship, right? And why is it good? Because you desire to be with them. You are happy when you're with them. You're joyful. You're content. They are your all in all. That's what God desires from us is that we would have that loving desire to serve him out of free will out of choice and not serve ourselves so what goes on in this world now for a temporary time as we read the Bible in this spiritual battle is there is a very real spiritual battle we need to be aware of it as we looked at last week the Bible says be on the alert be aware this is going on, even though it's spiritual and in the unseen. But in this, God says, you are overcomers. I have already won. You fight from victory, not for victory. And God says, when you are aware and you have your spiritual armor on and you fight the battle spiritually, you will be victorious. And so God, kind of like a parent, that has a child throwing a tantrum, sometimes, sometimes allows that child to throw a tantrum. Why? One, because it's kind of amusing to watch sometimes, right? I mean, here's the child throwing the tantrum and the parents going, that's pretty funny. But they allow the child to throw the tantrum, kind of get it out of their system, and then the good parent corrects the child and puts things back in perspective. In this time that we live right now as Christians, Satan's throwing a tantrum. And God is allowing it for a time being, but then there will come a day where Christ will come back and say, okay, you are done. Time out in hell. So as we get in this series, I want us to realize that Satan and God are not equal opposing forces. God creator, Satan created. And also Satan only has a limited time. The third thing I want you to realize is that Satan cannot make you and I do something. He can tempt us, he can distract us, he can be like a good illusionist like David Copperfield, and where the real issue is going on over here at the side of hand, he's like, looky over here, over here, over here. He can do that and present that to us, but he cannot make us do it, do it because we are in the clutches of God's hands. And because God is greater Satan cannot pull us out of the hands of God and his safety and his protection and his covering. So those are three important things to remember as we, we go into this series. What we realize Satan is doing in this war for the world and for every person in it is he is the great deceiver. The Bible calls him the father of lies. He is corrupt. He's diabolical. He's evil. And he tempts us and he deceives us once again to get us our minds off of the real picture. There was a uh, great military commander in the fifth century called Sun Tzu. He wrote a simple book called The Art of War. And it's crazy that this, this Asian commander, Sun Tzu, in the fifth century wrote this book. It is still studied by Harvard Business Schools today and other companies because what Sun Tzu was so good at was seeing where the army was, the opposing army, and then he would set up a distraction to get that army to run over here thinking this is where the battle is, and then you know what he would do with the main force of his army? He would come around behind and attack them when they weren't looking. The whole book that he wrote in the fifth century about the art of war is about deceiving the opposing force and then attacking them from behind when they're not expecting it. That's what the devil does with us spiritually. He wants to distract us. Now last week we looked at the spiritual deception that Satan will get us to blame and look at the other person as what? 
well, obviously they're the problem, right? If that other person wasn't in my life, if they didn't say these things and do these things, my life would be wonderful. That other person is a created individual of God just like we are, right? And God desires for them to come to salvation and relationship just like we are. And what we have to realize is when we are in those angry discussions, when those people hurt or wound us, that person is not the problem. It's a spiritual battle to get our minds off of the real issue. And as we looked at last week, when we see that spiritual attack going on and we want to blame and point fingers at the other person and say, you, 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 what should we really be doing? We should really be stopping and praying and say, God, open my eyes so that I can see what's going on. Give me spiritual discernment and wisdom. Help me not to attack the person but to pray in Christ's name that the devil would be gone, and God bless that person. Speak to them, minister them, to them. Use me, Lord, to minister them if it would be your will, because you love them and died for them just like you did for me. That person, Lord, is not the problem, but the devil is trying to deceive me to fight the real spiritual battle for victory. That's what we looked at last week. Of course, none of you have ever fallen into that deception, that trap, right? You've never bought into that trap where someone says something or does something, and you're like, oh, you. It's a spiritual deception. This morning, we are going to look at another spiritual deception that the devil uses. And remember, these deceptions are subtle, so subtle that oftentimes we don't even notice them. The spiritual deception we're looking at this morning are what we call traditions and keeping the status quo. We have been handed down traditions through generations, through, through culture, through society, handed down certain traditions that literally keep us from the truth. We live in a world where most people, you know, we don't want to rock the boat. We just want to keep the status quo, right? Let's just all be happy and all be at peace. We just want to do what we're told to do. And, and then go home at 5 o'clock and have shelter in our own little home, right? Traditions that keep us from the truth and don't rock the boat, keep the status quo. Because we don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. We don't want to cause any dissension. We don't, we don't want to stir the pot. We just want it all calm and all peace. Those are two spiritual deceptions that the devil uses to keep us from the truth of God's word. So here's a couple traditions that were passed down for many, many generations that people believed. Number one is, you've heard this in school, the world is what? Flat. Now we laugh at that, but do you know that for hundreds of years, people believed the world was flat? They also believed that the sun, moon, and stars revolved around the earth. Now through science and our limited amount of science, we know both of those are not true. But do you know there are groups of people today that still believe the world's flat? I looked it up on Google, and Google's never wrong, right? There's still a group of people that argue against science that the world really is flat, and we don't know what we're talking about. Even though you see the beautiful pictures of the Earth from the moon, and you see the pictures of the moon from the Earth, that it's round? But think of that. For hundreds of years, because of man's limited knowledge, they believed the world was flat. It was a tradition passed down, down, down. And people believed it until a Christian scientist came along and said, excuse me, the world is not flat, it's round. Do you know what that Christian scientist did? <coughs> he rocked the status quo. And all the other scientists looked at him like, oh my, how dare you say something so, so atrocious, so heretical. But because he spoke up, and brought in facts, we came to the understanding that the world is not flat. The world, the sun, stars, and moon do not revolve around the world, but we revolve around the sun. That was one. How about this is more of a modern one. People once believed in the theory that cigarettes were good for you. Some of you, of course, none of you, probably just only me, may remember seeing commercials on TV where there's actually doctors smoking cigarettes on TV, black and white television, you know, the big tube, telling you, hey, 
Smoke a Marlboro for your health. It will calm your anxiety. <sighs> Doctors were prescribing cigarettes because it will calm your anxiety. And then we learned about this thing called what? Cancer. But a whole generation had a traditional belief that cigarettes were good for you. They'd calm your anxiety. And cigarette smoking was everywhere. I still remember this day when the airport here in Salt Lake City revamped their airport where they had a designated smoking area because before that people just smoked all over. You smoked on planes, you smoked in a restaurant, you smoked at business meetings because doctors said it was good for you. And then all of a sudden people were outraged because this smoking area in the airport was a little glass cubicle and when you'd walk by it, man, it was just like a white cloud going off and people inside going because they couldn't smoke anywhere else. It was a tradition, right? And when someone spoke up and said, hey, cigarette smoking is bad for you, and they rocked the status quo, people were upset. When they reached out and said, we need to ban cigarette smoking in public, because believe it or not, there are some people that don't want secondhand smoke. The cigarette companies and the smokers were furious. Why would you challenge this and rock the boat? Didn't you see the doctors say this will help calm your anxiety? Tradition and status quo. Or how about my generation, the generation before me, that said, hey, you need vitamin D, and how do you get vitamin D? Oh no, not in a little capsule like today. How do you get your vitamin D? You go outside, you rub on some baby oil, and you fry yourself to a crisp, right? You get dark tan and yeah, you, you get all that and you get your hair bleached out, you get dark, dark, dark skin. And then we learned about a thing called, what? Melanoma, skin cancer. Yes, sun, sunlight is good for you, but done too much. Now you have a problem. But growing up in my, my generation, it's like, man, what are you doing this weekend? I wanna go out and fry in the sun. I'm going to go to the lake with my buddies and their boat. I'm not going to even put on any kind of sunblock unless it's like SPF 1. And I'm going to get fried because it's good for me. Anybody else buy to that? Go out and do that. And if you didn't do that, well, you go into these new little machines and you fake bait to get your tan before you go out and get the tan, right? Well, that wasn't any good for you either. But we believed it was a good thing. Traditions and status quo. Here's a modern one. See if this one hits home. Don't worry about retirement. Don't worry that you don't have any money saved. Don't worry that your bills are adding up faster than you have income coming in. Why? Because who's going to be there to take care of you? Who? The government. They'll be there for you in your time of need. I mean, people are rampantly buying into this tradition now. And if you challenge somebody in that and you rock the status quo, do you know how they respect and honor you? They are angry and mad. And how dare you tell me that I should be responsible and accountable like the Bible says and save money for retirement and my own care? How dare I trust another entity to take care of me well, you're just a moron. And we're back to the blame game again that we looked at last week, right? They don't take that news appealingly. Well, here's some facts. One, the Bible says with our finances, there is a way to handle our finances, right? We give to God the first fruits. We put some away for us for long term and to care for others and ourselves and our family. And then we use the rest wisely to live within our means. We don't depend upon the government of the United States of America, upon Rome, upon Greece, whatever generation you were brought up in. We don't depend upon them to care for us. Here's another fact, if you don't even like what the Bible says. Do you know that our government right now has got us in the United States into a debt of $34 trillion? Do you know how much that is? I can't even fathom that. Are you in debt $34 trillion? Luckily, no. But even if you're in debt, let's say $60,000, $80,000, it's not $34 trillion. Well, let's do the math. Okay, I'm 
debt-free or I'm in debt less than $100,000, my government is in debt $34 trillion? Do you really think they can take care of you long-term? Do they have the money to do it? No. That's like going to your bank and saying, hey bank, I'm gonna give you my hard-earned cash. The bank says, that's great because we're bankrupt. <laughs> we need your money. We're gonna keep it safe for you. That just doesn't line up, does it? Biblically or factually, but right now, that is one of the traditions that we are buying into as a nation, running rampantly into socialism and welfare and just saying, I don't have to be accountable and responsible. I don't have to do what the Word of God says. I don't have to save. I'll just let Uncle Sam cover it for me. I'll just get on welfare. Now, there are times when welfare is needed. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's all, all bad. The Bible speaks about welfare and how we're to take care of certain groups of people. But when people are fully capable of working and they don't do it, and they live off of another, that's called a leech. That is not biblical for Christians. And if you're doing that, I hate to tell you this, I'm gonna rock the status quo, but shame on you and stop doing that. The Bible says, if you're able and capable and a man that shall not work, shall not eat. That's the biblical approach to this issue. But we buy into these, don't we? We believe these traditions, and again, they keep us from the biblical truth. And when someone comes up, like I just did, and says, hey, that's wrong, that is not biblical, that is not being a good example as a Christian witness, you need to stop doing that, and you rock the status quo, how do they respond? Well, they go back to last week's message, and like, you're an idiot, you're stupid, don't you dare tell me what to do. Right? Do you see the slow of how this spiritual battle all works? If the first one doesn't work, then hit him with the second one with the tradition or not rocking the status quo, and they go back to the first issue. It's just a big repeating loop. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? But how often do we buy into it? Because we're thinking emotionally. We're thinking from our personal view, and our button's been pushed. Because we've been buying into this, and in good deception fashion, when something opposes you, when someone opposes you and rocks the status quo and brings in a different belief and says, you are wrong, in good loving fashion, we want to destroy them and bring them down and make them the problem, right? When we break it down, it kind of makes sense, but when we're doing it, it's like, oh no, did you know what they said or what they did? Oh my gosh. They don't even know what they're talking about. Truth. The truth of God's word brings about massive change. And it rocks the status quo of the traditional lives that we have believed in. The promotion of those traditional lies seems subtle, seems innocent, seems okay, seems like it's okay to tell a little white lie to save someone from hurt or pain or something but it's still a lie, it's still deception, it's still biblically wrong. Turn with me to Matthew 15. We're gonna read about one of these traditions in the Bible and then we're gonna jump over to Acts 6 and see how this plays out. Matthew 15, one to six, Christy read some of this this morning. Starting in verse 15, I'm reading out of New American Standard, it says, then some Pharisees and scribes, they were, stop there for a minute. Who were the Pharisees and scribes? They were the religious leaders of the time. They were the elite of the time. They were the educated of the time. And oftentimes they were in that upper class financially of the time. You didn't go against the scribes and Pharisees. You wanted to appease them. You wanted to keep them happy and side with them. So we read. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why your disciples break the what? Tradition. Tradition. Where have we heard that word this morning? Another way of putting this, why do your disciples break the status quo of the rules we've set up? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Oh my gosh. 
well, this is probably a good one for our modern society coming out of COVID because people are freaking about washing hands and sanitizing hands and doing it 15 times until you have no skin left, right? We can relate with this. But when you pull back, it's like, you're a religious leader. You're, you should be concerned about the hearts of people tuned into God, and you're worried about somebody washing their hands? Really, is that the main point? Verse 2, we pick up there again. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the who? The elders. Notice it's not of God. It's a man-made law. It's not God's law that says you have to wash your hands to be holy. It's a man-made law. Now, when they made that law, they had good intentions. They made it to protect the Ten Commandments, but it's a man-made law, regulation. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Notice what Jesus says. It says, Then Jesus answered and said to the scribes and Pharisees, Why do you yourselves transgress or break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And by this you invalidate what? You invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. We continue a little bit down, Matthew 15, verses 7 to 9. Just scroll down a few verses. Jesus says, you hypocrites. Well, I, I'm sure they took that really well, didn't they? Basically saying, you liars, you hypocrites. Rightly did the prophet Isaiah prophesy of you saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as, catch this, doctrines and precepts of who? Of men. They're teaching doctrines and precepts and traditions of men, not of God. Here's the religious leaders teaching their own precepts, saying, you need to do this. But they weren't teaching the relationship, the precepts of God. Now, don't get me wrong. These men were very sincere in their belief. They believed they were doing a good thing. They believed what they're doing was right. We see this in our own nations with some of the crazy laws that are coming out that, hey, by the way, we just passed a new law that you can go and shoplift up to $1,000 if you only do shoplift $999 worth of stuff, we'll let you walk out the store with it. We won't chase after you or persecute you or, or, or charge you with a crime. But oh, if you steal $1,000, well, now we have to talk. Okay, really? If you steal $999, or you steal $1,000 worth of stuff, it's still what? Stealing. Stealing. It's the same thing. But we have a law in a state in our nation that says you can do that. It's almost like saying what? Hey, we want you to steal. That's the law of man. Coming up against the law of God, which says, thou shalt not steal. God doesn't say, oh, you can steal up to this much. He says, no, if you steal a piece of gum that cost a nickel in the grocery store, you're a thief. It's wrong. Don't do it. But we, in our great nation of the United States of America, have the law that says, <laughs> $999, you can go up to that, steal as much as you want, as many times as you want, you're okay. You're a good person. But don't steal $1,000. Don't go $1 over. Then you turn into a bad person. What a stupid law. What is going on here in Matthew 15 is this. The scribes and Pharisees are have a man-made tradition, a man-made law. 
that they would go to the younger generation. They would say, hey, you have to have dedication to God by having dedication to the church. They call it the synagogue or the temp temp temple. If you have additional finances, you need to take those finances and you need to dedicate them to the church. They called it Corbin. So I, as a middle-aged, well, I used to be middle-aged, individual would come back and say, hey, I have a couple extra thousand dollars in the bank. I need to dedicate that to the church. I would go to the religious, religious leaders and say, hey, this money that I have in the bank, I'm going to hold on to it for a while, but it is yours. And then what would happen is my parents would get a little bit older, and they couldn't work. So in this agrarian society, where you had to do everything by hand every day, it wasn't like today where you stockpile up in the bank and you know you have you make your business off of Google and remote and YouTube. Parents would get older and couldn't work and needed to be cared for. And what would happen is the middle-aged son and the Pharisees would come back to the elderly parents and say, "Oh dear, my my my, I'm so sorry." Yeah, we had this money that could have helped you in your need, but, oh, we gave the money to God. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. You're on your own because I have chosen a higher path. I have given my heart and money to God, and now there's nothing left for you. Good luck. God bless you. That's what Corbin was. That's what Jesus is addressing them when he says, you, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. It's a command. It's one of the, the big ten, right? Honor your father and mother. But the Pharisee says, oh, no, 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 no. God must come first by you giving your finances and treasures to the church. And if you have nothing left for your elderly parents, well, they should have done better. Do you see the lioness tradition? And Jesus is uprooting the status quo to these religious leaders saying, you guys are liars. You guys are idiots. You should be having the love of God by taking care of your parents. In essence, what Jesus is saying is like, yes, I want you to give to the church. I've made it in the Bible. You should be doing that. You should give God the first fruits of your labor. But my gosh, you are the first line of defense for your children and for your elderly parents to care for them and take care of them. That is love. They've raised you. They've blessed you. They took care of you. Now it's your turn to take care of them. I can see God in the background going, you know what? I don't need your money. I have enough. I'm not a poor God. I would rather have you loved and cared for and give some sacrifice that you think you're being holy about. Do you see the problem here? But at this time, it was status quo. At this time, it was tradition. You have access funds? You give it to the church. And then when needs arise in your own family, which you are called to take care of, you can say, God bless you. Sorry, I got nothing left for you. It was wrong. But the people of this generation completely bought into it. Do you know that's still going on today? Middle-aged parents, as their parents get older and their parents are not financially secure, they're like, sorry, Mom, Dad, you're going to have to go on government. Sorry, you can't come to our house because we got kids and it's a lot of busy stuff. Sorry, you're on your own. Huh? It goes on today just as well. And society accepts it. And if you go up to one of those people and say, you are biblically wrong, especially if you're a Christian, you should know better. They're like, well, who are you? You don't even know my family's situation. Who are you to say? Back to last week's sermon. Right? See the vicious circle? Here's another tradition that's not that far from us. It's still as prevalent today as well. It came to a head during the time of Abraham Lincoln in the 1800s with a thing we called the Civil War. Yeah, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Civil War. One's peace, one's war. Why did we put those two words together? Let's have a peaceable war. It's kind of funny in itself. But there were people, you know what they were fighting for this war for? 
was because there were people of a different skin tone in America that because of the color of their skin were deemed less ungodly. Well, Americans, here's the truth of this wrong tradition. I'm gonna break the status quo. Do you know that Jesus was not an American? Jesus was a Jew. Do Jews have beautiful, pure white skin? No, they have olive skin, brown skin. They're colored. And if you're in church saying, well, coloreds are less than, well, you just blew it because you a white boy, you a white girl, and God was not. But people today still believe this. Well, if you have colored skin, you're less than. Well, are you calling God a less than because he was Jewish and had colored skin? That's the paradigm you're getting pickled into, right? That's the prejudice that you bought into in a lie. Jesus was not a white boy. He was Jewish. Why do we have these beautiful Fabio white flowing pictures of Jesus in his beautiful white robe? That's a lie too. You walk all day long in the dirt and the dust. There were no paved roads except for some rock ones were still dirty and dusty. Do you think that robe every single day of Jesus' life was just miraculously clean and beautiful white? No! It was stained and dirty and brown. Jesus was olive colored. His hair was ruffled and rattled and not washed every day with conditioner and all that stuff. He was a carpenter, his hands were rough. The Bible says he wasn't even a good looking man. And yet we have a lie, a tradition of a picture. Where so is Jesus in his somber look looking up at his father. Beautiful white skin, no pimples, no wrinkles, no crow's lines, nothing. Long, beautiful flowing hair, a white robe and the glory is shining around him. It's a lie. We may even have some little pictures up in our house. It's a lie. You see where Satan deceives us to keep us from real truth? If that was the picture that I grew up seeing Jesus, in that picture, and my parents said, look, there's Jesus, he's like us, he's one of us, he's a white boy, and look how beautiful he is. You know what, if you have a different color skin, it's easy to believe in, isn't it? It's so subtle. And when someone comes across and says, Jesus wasn't white, and sorry for the black people, Jesus wasn't black with your black pictures of Jesus either, that's a lie. People get ruffled. Because they want a God that looks like them. They don't want to be a person that reflects the image of God. That's the problem. That's the problem. They want a God made in their own image, in their own likeness. They don't want to be people that live in the likeness and image of character of God. They want God to change for them. They don't want to be changed by God. That's what traditions and keeping the status quo do. Here's a couple simple points. Truth, biblical truth, liberates traditions status quo, procrastinate a belief that is wrong and accepted and harms people. Truth gives life. Tradition ends up going against the word of God and therefore brings division, death, and hurt. Truth brings change. Tradition just wants to keep the status quo. We've always done it that way. This is how my dad did it. My dad before him and my dad before him. This is how everybody in my neighborhood does it. We're going to do it that way. Don't question it. Just do it. Truth defines reality. Tradition just tries to maintain a false sense of stability and perception. Here's one for me that I've, I've even bought into, even with my kids. I've promoted this. Santa Claus. Oh, he's a fun guy, isn't he? Cute, bubbly little elf. There's nothing wrong with Santa Claus per se, there really was an actual individual called St. Nicholas that he's based off of. There's nothing wrong with Santa Claus. The problem is in our tradition, our status quo, is we've replaced Jesus at Christmas with Santa Claus. You don't walk into stores and see aisles and aisles of pictures of Jesus blessing and, and healing and, and doing good things. No, who do you see? 
Santa Claus. Who do you write a letter to? Santa Claus. Who do you watch online with NASA to see who's coming and how close he's going to be? Santa Claus. Are you looking for when Jesus is coming? No. I've promoted that lie. I've promoted that tradition. I'm as guilty as anybody else because it's so easy to buy into. Well, well, you see, it's just we need to give kids something to hope for. Well, then give them Jesus. Why give them a myth? Why give them a lie? Give them the real deal. Doesn't that make more sense? But at Christmas, well, yeah, if you go to church, you'll have a nice little beautiful manger scene. Maybe you have some up in your home. You know, we talk about Jesus, we do that. But every else in society, who's the focal point of Christmas? Santa and his reindeer. Do you see stories and, and, and movies of Jesus? On Christmas, maybe one or two if you look for them. Who do you hear about on TV all the time at Christmas? You don't have to go looking for them. Santa. You see how subtle it is? Truth is threatening to those who keep traditions in the status quo. Why? Because traditions and keeping the status quo is comfortable. It's acceptable. And it's easy. Do you know what else is easy? The Bible says the road to hell is wide and easy. But if we forget that, we keep the status quo. Truth is dynamic. You know why it's dynamic? It challenges, it changes, it brings new life. It brings freedom. Tradition, status quo is static. You know what I mean by static? doesn't change. Same thing every time. Doesn't change. Don't rock the boat. Don't stir the pot. Don't challenge anything. Don't speak up. Keep the status quo. Here's the issue. The devil wants to have us believe in tradition over truth. That very devoted, sincere people would hold on to, as the Bible calls it, a form of godliness. A form of godliness, which means that it's what? It's not the real thing. It's a fake, it's a fraud, it's a phony. But devoted, sincerely devoted, sincere, believing people would hold on to that, thinking it's truth, it's the right thing, this will save them, this will be good, when all the time it's a lie. It's a form of godliness, but it's not the real thing. We've been told it for years, it's familiar, it's actually comforting because we like it when we hear it or we see it, it's accepted, it's not challenged. But we deny God's power in our lives when we buy into a lie, right? When we replace the truth of God with a lie of the world, we deny God's power in our lives. Turn with me to Acts 6. Acts 6 is where we picked up last week. There was an issue that the devil tried to break into the disciples in a growing church by creating a complaint, right? Well, you don't fix things. You just complain about how bad they are. You don't do anything first. You just complain about it. Luckily, the disciples were tuned into God, and they had a victory for, the God, for God. Now we have Stephen, who's been chosen as one of the seven to take care of these Hellenistic Jewish widows and care for them. And we find... Stephen is now speaking to the religious leaders just like Jesus did in Matthew. And, G and he is giving them new implications that God would have about the Roman law, the synagogue, and the ways of worship and the lives of the people. And they don't like it. You know why they don't like it? Because it's challenging their system of belief they've held for generations in the church. They're the religious leaders and, and Stephen's saying, hey, Jesus as the leader of, as was in this time called, the way. Jesus has a new way of how we should live to, to serve God. And it's not what you guys are teaching. And it doesn't go over well. In the end, we know that Stephen will be what? Stoned to death. Let's read. Acts 6, 8 to 15. Great wonders and signs among the people. So he's doing what? Is he doing bad things or good things? Good things. Good things. But some men, oh, some men, 
you ever want to screw things up, get men involved, get women involved, get people involved. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, which is hilarious, right? As we read on, the synagogue, the church of the freemen, which is exactly opposite of what they were, including both Cyrenes and Alexandrians, came from Sicilia and Asia and rose up and argued with Stephen. They secretly introduced men to say, so they're, they're backstabbing, right? They secretly introduced men to come and say false lies about Stephen because they didn't like what he was doing. So far, this is going bad all the way. And they said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses. Mark that down, against Moses. And against God. And they stirred up the people. They're creating a riot. The elders and the scribes, they came up to him and they dragged Stephen away and brought him before the council. Council of men, the committee. And they put forward false witnesses. Now this is the church of the free men. Stephen is doing good works or bad works? Good things. And the church of the free men come up and they bring in false witnesses to lie about Stephen. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah. Bad thing. This is the church. Verse 13. They put forward false witnesses and said, This man incessantly speaks against one the Holy Spirit and two the law. For we have heard him say that this is Je this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place, the altar, and the customs which Moses handed down to us. Who's the focus on? Is it God or Moses? So we're dealing with the accusations against Stephen are this. Against the holy place, the church. Against the law that they have come up with. And against Moses. Do you hear God in any of their accusations? No! They're a church. They're in their tradition. They're not in relationship. You see the problem? It happens all the time. Kind of like our good old President Bill Clinton when he was interviewed when he was in office about smoking marijuana. He says, well, yeah, I smoked some in college, but I never what? Inhaled. Inhaled. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what he did? He diverted the conversation, didn't he? You're addressing me about, did I take drugs in college? Well, yeah, I put one to my lips, but I didn't inhale. He diverted the issue. Then everyone talked about, well, can you smoke marijuana without inhaling, or do you have to inhale, or can you just pretend? I mean, I'm, the second you smoke, this is the big issue. We've got to, we've got to figure this out. All the while ignoring the fact that he never answered the question. You see deception? Illusion. Real tricks going on over here. Hey, looky up here. David Copperfield does great. What Stephen is dealing with here is this. Scribes and Pharisees had developed something called the Mishnah. You know what the Mishnah was? It was some 600 man-made rules and regulations, religious laws that, were get, that they made up to protect the Ten Commandments. They thought they were doing a good thing. 600 some laws that you had to keep to protect the Ten Commandments. Like if your donkey fell in a pit on Sunday, you couldn't save them because that would be physical work. You would be working on the Sabbath, so you couldn't save your donkey. Sorry for you. But they had intentions that this stuff that they thought would protect the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says that this Mishnah, these rules and regulations really only did one thing, two things actually. They put men in bondage and they placed heavy burdens upon men's shoulders. That instead of worshiping and being in relationship and serving and glorifying God, fellowshipping with God, you had to worry about what laws you might be breaking. Right? This had been the tradition, the status quo for generations, and when Stephen is challenging that tradition, number one, they with the law or with the land, they forgot that the land was just a place where God brought them to show his sovereignty. The law. They forgot that the law, even the Ten Commandments of God, were given to show people how much they fail. Why? Because if you realize you fail, you realize you need something, right? You need a Savior. 
the laws were never given to give us salvation. The law, then commandments were given us to show how much we fail and how we need someone to intercede in our lives, a savior to save us from that failure. And the church, the church was a place where God came to reveal himself, not to demand things of people. The church was supposed to be freedom in a relationship, not bondage and rules and regulations. Big difference, big difference. God's agenda and his promises have always been to necessitate change in our lives towards godliness. Well, you're a sin, you can't get rid of sin, so you what? You need a savor to wipe that sin away and come into freedom. God's promises necessitate change, but people don't want change, do they? They want to keep things where they are. God's blessings have never been restricted to one single piece of land. Because if you read the Old and New Testament, how often was God moving people around? All the time. Now we see the nation of Israel as a special place in God's heart, but are God's people outside of the nation of Israel? Yeah, they're all over. Historically, mankind has rejected God's plan in his prophets, in his disciples, in his apostles, in his preachers, and even in his son. And that's the problem. Here's what I want you to realize as we start to wrap up. I want you to put yourself in the place of the scribes and Pharisees right now, the religious leaders. Because there may be some traditions in your life. You may want to be maintaining the status quo in your life to not stir the pot, rock the boat. And you're very sincere in your thought process. You're very devoted to that because you believe it's right. And when someone comes with the word of God and says, you're living and believing a lie. How are you going to respond to that person when they take you back to the Word of God and show you the Word of God? And they're like, look, this is what God says, but this is how you're living and believing, and this is what you're promoting. Because you don't want to rock the status quo. You just carry the lie on from generation to generation. How does that make you feel? Good? No. You're like, I've just been attacked. I want you to realize this is how the scribes and Pharisees felt. They were devoted to the Mishnah. They were devoted to the synagogue. They were devoted to Moses, but they weren't devoted to God. They were devoted to their man-made creations, the things they could control, but they weren't devoted to relationship. And that's the problem. That's where Satan is subtle. We manipulate the promises of God into something that we can control, and everybody accepts, and it's okay. God is about relationship. He's about freedom, he's about truth, and like it or not, he is about change. As a Christian, you and I are converted, changed in salvation, yes? Then we're done. We don't got to change anymore, do we? Well, that's what we'd like to believe. How often God, does God want you to change when you're with him in your morning quiet time and your devotional and your reading and praying? How often does God want you to change? Every day. To be more and more and more like who? Him. Sometimes people don't have their Bible readings or prayer times or devotions with God because it's like, I know he wants to change me, and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I ain't just going to do it then, right? Because if I read the Word of God, then I'm responsible to live the Word of God. So if I don't read it, then I'm not responsible, which is a lie from the pit of hell again. Because God wants me to change how I live and how I think and how I see other people. I like how I'm doing it now. I'm comfortable in it. I don't want to rock my own status quo. See the issue? God wants relationship, and relationship means constant change. Have you ever been in a relationship and it didn't go the way you thought it would? Well, who was wrong? You see, that's the lie that Satan throws out. Instead of saying, like we looked at last week, what are you going to do to make it better? Satan throws out the lie to say, who's wrong in this relationship? You see what he does again? Back to last week's sermon, get the focus on the person, not on doing something about the issue. 
And the reality of that question that Satan throws out when he says, who is wrong? And we say what? That person. The truth of the Bible is both of you. Because you're both sinners, forgiven sinners, but you're both failed people. And God says instead of blaming each other, work it out and fix it. But we don't. Why? Because we're blaming each other. Does it make sense? And we fall into the lie all the time. I'm guilty. Second, Jesus states the real issue is a heart of repentance before God. Not a heart of, do it this way, keep these laws. It's a heart of repentance and submission. As for the church, we should be in church. We should be dedicated. We should be serving and using our spiritual gifts and meeting the needs of others. But we should never replace Jesus with the church. When Christy and I first came to Utah, we were doing youth ministry, and some of you heard this story before, but I was teaching the Lutheran confirmation class, right? You have your rite of passage where you educate the kids, and then they have their first communion, and then they're adults. Magical spell created by man, right? One of the elderly ladies came up to me, and she said, John, I'm concerned about what you're teaching in the confirmation class. And I said, okay, what are you concerned about? She's like, well, what are you teaching? I said, well, I'm teaching the Old Testament in this year, I'm teaching the New Testament this year, and I'm mingling in a little bit of Lutheran tradition so they know the history of their church. And she's like, oh, that's the problem. I'm like, what's the problem? She's like, the problem is you're teaching the Old and New Testament. You're not teaching Lutheran history and tradition all the time. And we kind of battled it out, and finally I looked at her and I said, I won't tell her name, but I said, ma'am, which are you first? Are you a Lutheran first or a Christian first? And she said, well, easy, I'm a Lutheran. And I said, that's the problem. You've replaced Lutheranism in place of where God should be in your life and relationship. You've replaced history and traditions in place of God in relationship. See the issue? And I guarantee you, she was as sincere and devoted at all get out because she was that I didn't teach Lutheran tradition and history over the Old and New Testament. She was totally sincere, but she was wrong. Point is this, in our war for the world, we got to be aware of Satan's diabolical lies. And if we place tradition and not challenging the status quo over our relationship with God, we are deceiving ourselves. We're buying into the trick of Satan to fight the real battle. Here's one of my favorites. We pray, God, God, use me. God, I want to be an ambassador for you. Use me, Lord. I'm here. If you need to send somebody, send me. I'll go. But God, don't put me in the mission field. Uh-uh. Please don't do that in a third world country. God, I can't go there. Don't do that. What if God wants you there? I pray prayers like that. I'll throw myself under the bus, right? Have you? God, I'll do anything for you, but don't send me here. I told God once, God, whatever it is, don't ever send, let me go to Kansas because that's desolate wasteland. And you know where God put me for six years? Kansas. God's got a sense of humor. And it was good for me. I learned some stuff. I didn't die. I was okay. I was glad to get back to the mountains, but it was okay. The reason we like traditions and the status quo is because they're easy. They're comfortable. They make us feel good because... <coughs> Everybody accepts it. But they miss the point of the Bible often, don't they? They teach something that's unbiblical. So here's the question in this spiritual battle we constantly have to ask of ourselves. As the Bible says, examine Ken. Examine Christy, Dee Dee, Tara. No, the Bible says what? Examine yourselves to see if you are of God. It's not looking at other people, how they're doing. It's looking at us to see how we're doing. And we have to ask the question, in what I am believing, in what I am promoting, and how am I am living, is it biblical? And if it's not, then why am I doing it? Is it biblical? Because the real question is, am I buying the tradition or the, the, the deception of Satan? I'm living a tradition. Am I keeping the status quo just because I want everybody to be at peace with? Any turmoil, any challenge, even if it's protecting the word of God and the truth of God, that's the real issue, isn't it? 
So that's what we have to deal with. Remember, our battle is spiritual. And God has equipped us with spiritual armor, with the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit. We are fighting from victory, not for victory. I just want you to be aware of how subtle Satan is in, in tempting you to do the wrong thing. How subtle Satan is of getting you to look over here when he's really messing with you over here. So that you're aware and you can deal with it on a spiritual basis. Sound good? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, the examples of how Satan tries to deceive, deceive us that we would be aware, that we would not be ignorant. Lord, oftentimes in our personal lives, when you challenge us to change, we struggle with it, Lord, because we're like anybody else. We just want things to be at peace and go well and be comfortable, and change is hard. It's scary. But Lord, the crazy lie is that if we don't change, we just burden ourselves. But if we do change in your likeness, we have freedom. Help us to live in the truth of your word and not keep the status quo and not live in the traditions of men, the rules and regulations of men, but to trust you. That we may glorify you in Jesus' name.